Good morning. I'd like you to join me in your Bibles in Exodus chapter 20. Four high school students were having trouble transitioning back into school, and so on Friday morning, they skipped classes and went fishing at the lake. After lunch, they showed up at school and reported to the teacher that their car had had a flat tire. To their relief, she welcomed them into class, in fact, showed sympathy for their plight. But she said, I want you to take a quiz. So she asked them to sit down at their desk, get out a pencil and paper. And when they were looking at her with all their attention, she said, the first question, which tire was flat? Now, our lives don't always catch up with us that quickly. But I want to tell you, they will catch up with you. Not everyone believes that. In fact, in a recent survey, 66% of Americans said it's not wrong to tell a lie. And 69% disagreed with the adage, honesty is the best policy. But regardless of what popular opinion says, honesty is not only the best policy, it is God's policy. And in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16, we read this in the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. One Sunday, a preacher ended his message by giving his congregation an assignment. He said, I want you to read the 17th chapter of Mark. Got up the following Sunday and asked for a show of hands for everybody who read it. Hands went up all around the auditorium. He said, well, that tells me you're ready for a message today because the message is on lying. There is no 17th chapter in Mark. I don't intend to use entrapment to get your attention today. I'm going to assume you own up to the fact that you have a problem in this area. Nine out of ten Americans admit that they lie regularly. And that's probably because lying takes so many forms. Mark Twain said there were 869 kinds of lies. I just want to mention eight of them this morning, just to make sure you're in this category. Number one way you can break this commandment is perjury. That's the most extreme form of lying. That's what Roger Clemens was accused of doing. This is when a person stands before a court of law under oath and gives false testimony. Now, God was serious about this. In Deuteronomy 19.16, he says, if you falsely accuse someone of wrongdoing, then you got the penalty that that false accusation would have brought. So if you accuse someone of stealing, you got the sentence for stealing. If you accuse someone of murder, you got the death penalty. I think that would be incentive to mean it when you said, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Number one is perjury. Number two way you can break this commandment is deceit. This is when you just out and out lie to somebody. This is Genesis 27 when Jacob comes into his father dressed in his brother Esau's clothes, and his father, who can't see very well, says, Who are you? And he says, I am Esau. That was a lie. That was premeditated, intentional deceit. 
If you go to Harvard University today, you'll see a statue in front of one of the buildings. It's a statue of a man in a seated position with a book on his lap. And on the pedestal of the statue are these words, John Harvard, founder, 1638. Interestingly, none of that is true. Students call this the statue of three lies. Lie number one, this is not a likeness of John Harvard. When Daniel Chester French sculpted it in 1884, there were no pictures of John Harvard, so he recruited a student by the name of Sherman Hoare, dressed him in 17th century attire, and he was the model for the statue. Second lie, John Harvard was not the founder of Harvard University. The Massachusetts Bay Colony founded it, and it was later named after John Harvard because he was a substantial contributor to the school in its early days. And lie number three, Harvard was not founded in 1638, but in 1636. So everything about the statue is a lie. But ironically, on the side of the statue, it has the Harvard emblem with the school's motto, truth. Now, I think that's a microcosm of our country today. The president lies. Politicians lie. Advertisers lie. Athletes lie. Lawyers lie. Teachers lie. Preachers lie. We have grown to expect people to lie. The book, The Day America Told the Truth, says that 91% of Americans admit that they lie regularly. The majority find it hard to get through a week without lying, and one out of five admitted that they cannot get through a single day without a lie. And perhaps saddest of all, the more we know someone, the more likely we are to tell them a serious lie. 86% said they do that to parents, 75% to friends, 73% to siblings, 69% to spouses. Deceit. I'll give you a third way. Rumor. Rumor is when you pass on information that you can't verify to be true. Or you may even suspect is not true. You say, well, what's the harm in that? Listen to Exodus 23.1. You shall not carry a false rumor. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You may pass on that rumor and think that you're not being malicious, but the person who hears it may turn around and be malicious with it. And the Bible says when you do that, you are joining hands with the person who is doing that malicious activity. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. He was talking about his body. But the rumor arose that Jesus had said he would destroy the temple. That rumor was handed on from person to person to person until eventually it was used by false witnesses in Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin in Matthew 26. The problem with passing on rumors is that you validate it when you do. I may say to you, 
I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard. You know what you're going to turn around and say? Dan Green told me. See, my passing on a rumor gives validity to that rumor. Rumor is just a first cousin of gossip. Someone has said to gossip, you have to have a good sense of rumor. I heard about a young pastor who came to a church. People didn't know him very well, and before long, a story started circulating that he had rudely come into a women's Bible study and yanked his wife out of it. This rumor gained so much steam in the church that he had to get up before one of his sermons and address it. And so he said, I want to lay this to bed, so I want to tell you four things very clearly this morning. Number one, I never tell my wife what meetings she can or cannot attend. Number two, my wife did not attend the meeting in question. Number three, I never went to that meeting. And number four, I don't have a wife. Someone has said, and this is important to note, someone has said, great minds discuss ideas. Mediocre minds discuss events. And small minds discuss other people. Rumors. This form of lying may not get you thrown into jail, but it's perhaps the most devastating on the lives of other people. Proverbs 18.8 says the words of a talebearer are wounds and they go deep into the innermost part of a person. And it doesn't take very long. Mark Twain said a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. A woman came to her pastor to confess that she had been spreading rumors around town and she wanted to make it right. So he gave her a basket full of feathers. He said, go outside and throw them up into the wind. She did and came back inside, and he said, now go collect them. She said, I can't. They're halfway across the countryside. And he said, so are those rumors. Fourth way you can break this commandment is flattery. Flattery. It's probably the most subtle form of lying because it's clothed in smiles and compliments. Psalm 55, 21 describes the flatterer this way. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Flattery is when you say things to a person that are not true in order to benefit yourself. Now, this is not the same as encouragement. Encouragement you do out of love for the other person because you believe the best for them. Flattery isn't out of love for the other person. Flattery is done out of love for yourself. You're doing it to manipulate You're doing it to win favor. In fact, flattery is really the flip side of slander. They're like heads and tails of the same coin. Slander is when you say evil things behind someone's back that you would never say to their face. Flattery is when you say nice things to someone's face that you never say behind their back. 
and both are equally destructive. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A flattering mouth works ruin. I'll give you a fifth way you can break this commandment. Insinuation. Insinuation. This is when you don't lie directly, but you do so by innuendo. Satan did this to Job in Job 1.9 when he came to God and said, does, God, does Job fear God for nothing? Was that an honest question? No. It came with an implication. Job is in this for the goodies. When you come up to me and say, have you heard about Sally? And I say, no. And you say, well, maybe it's better if I don't say anything. Well, you already did. By implication. In John 8, 41, the Jews said to Jesus, we were not born of fornication. What's the insinuation? Jesus was. When you say this, it sounds something like this. Do you think Ron and Jane are meant for each other? Do you think Sarah's really qualified for that job? Insinuation. Here are some job recommendations that have insinuation. I enthusiastically recommend this candidate with no qualifications whatsoever. I am pleased to say that this candidate is a former colleague of mine. I can assure you that no person would be better for the job. You will be lucky if you can get this person to work for you. Insinuation. Sixth is slander. James 4.11 says, do not slander one another. Slander is when you make up a story about someone with a deliberate intention of damaging their reputation. The Pharisees did this to Jesus. They said he's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He's a friend of sinners. They did it to John the Baptist. They said he has a demon. Slander. Seventh is exaggeration. We prefer to call this stretching the truth. Exaggeration. It's the proverbial fish story. When the more you tell it, the bigger the fish gets. Some people do this with their resume. They add a school. They add a degree. They add an award. They exaggerate. It's lying. I've seen people do it with their Christian testimony. You tell it enough times that they've added so many things, they don't know what the testimony was. They actually got saved when they were six. By the time they've embellished it, they were in a street gang in New York. Exaggeration is lying. I think I've got you already, but let me add one more. Silence. When you're in the midst of a conversation and someone says something about another person that's not true, if you don't correct it, your silence is affirming it. You can lie without saying a word. In 1 Samuel 19, Saul was speaking evil of David. Jonathan was there. If If Jonathan had remained silent, he would have affirmed the words of his father. Instead, he defended David. And Saul actually retracted what he said. 
about David. When you listen passively to slander, you're just as guilty as the person who spoke it. Because you are letting him use your ears as garbage cans. And if you don't correct it, you are an accomplice to the crime. You say, okay, okay, you got me. I'm guilty of some of those forms of lying, but, but hey, everybody does it. And lying surely isn't as bad as breaking those other commandments. I mean, this has got to be the little white commandment. I mean, when Moses came down from the mountain, this one probably had an asterisk by it because it can't be as bad as the others. Well, let me tell you why lying is so bad. Number one, lying is satanic. Jesus said this of the devil in John 8, There is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Lies come from the very nature of Satan. That's why the first time we see him in Scripture, what's he doing? He's lying to Eve in the garden. He's saying, if you eat from that tree, you surely will not die. He is the father of lies. And when we are lying, we are acting like his children. Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. Well, that's never more accurate than when you're talking about lying. In fact, the the name devil means slanderer. So you are never more like him than when you're lying. You're never more like him than when you are slandering another person. And the Bible says those whose lives are characterized by lying will share Satan's doom. Revelation 21.8 says all liars will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Why is it so bad? Lying is satanic. Let me give you a second reason. Lying is destructive. It destroys your relationship with God. In Psalm 101.7, God says, No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house, and no one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 6.16 says, There are seven things that the Lord hates. And if you read the list, he mentions lying twice. He gives a list of the seven things that he hates the most, and lying is in there twice. He hates lying so much that he gets redundant about it. You see, for God, lying is not a secondary issue. It's not a secondary sin. It is a prominent sin because it strikes at the very nature of God. Lying comes from the nature nature of Satan. Honesty comes from the nature of God. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. And then a few chapters later, he said, your word is truth. Lying destroys your relationship with God. Secondly, lying destroys your relationship with other people. Meaningful relationships are built on what? 
trust. So when you inject lying and deceit into a relationship, it begins to erode. That's why adultery is so damning to a marriage relationship. Not only is there physical unfaithfulness, but it is compounded by deceit. And deceit always eats away a relationship. Do you ever wonder why God punished Achan so severely in Joshua 7? You remember Achan? The battle of Jericho, they were told not to take anything, and he saw some goodies and grabbed them and hid them in his tent and lied about it. And God destroyed him and his family. See, all he did was lie. Why was God so serious about that? I think it had to do with the timing. They were just entering the promised land. New relationship with God, new relationship with each other, and God was saying, we can't have deceit. Fast forward to Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. They're struck dead for doing what? All they did was told a little lie. Sort of a half lie. Why was God so serious about that? Because we just had the birth of the church. New relationship with God, new relationship with each other, and God is stating it again. We cannot have deceit because lying is destructive. It destroys your relationship with God. It destroys your relationship with each other. And thirdly, it destroys your character. Listen carefully. When you lie, you are not just deceiving other people. You are deceiving yourself. Robertson McQuilkin put it this way, falsehood is the basic fault line in the foundation of the soul, putting all the superstructure in jeopardy. All the believability a person has, his very integrity totters on the shifting sand of one lie. Deceit holds hostage all other virtues. Philip Bailey, the 19th century poet, said, The first and worst of all frauds is to deceive oneself. All sin is easy after that. After you've lied to yourself, anything goes. And when you lose your honesty, you lose your character. Lying is destructive. Let me give you a third reason lying is so bad. Lying is progressive. Lying always gets progressively worse. Have you noticed this? A a lie doesn't stand alone. You tell one lie, and then you've got to hold it together with the adhesive of more lies, and then you've got to staple it together with more lies, and what started out to be one becomes a multitude of lies. Someone has said a lie has no legs. It requires other lies to support it. And lies progressively always go from smaller to bigger. Austin O'Malley put it this way. He said, those who think it permissible to tell white lies soon grow colorblind. 
And they also go from simple to complex. We say, well, I told one lie, and pretty soon I've told several lies, and then I have a multiplicity of lies and, and deceit in my life, and I'm trying to hold it all together and figure it all out. That's why Abraham Lincoln said, no man has a good enough memory to be a successful liar. Give you a fourth reason. Lying is so bad. Lying is contagious. It's contagious. If you don't address it in your life, your kids will catch it. It's highly contagious. We see that illustration in Scripture. In Genesis 12, Abraham goes to Egypt and lies to Pharaoh saying his wife was his sister. In Genesis chapter 26, guess who goes to the land of the Philistines and tells the king that his wife is his sister? Abraham's son, Isaac. And in the next chapter, guess who's lying to Isaac? Isaac's son, Jacob. Lying is contagious. Now, if you're sitting here this morning, you say, I tell lies, but lies are not that significant. Let me just have you step back and think about where lies come from and what, for what reason you are lying. Let's look at the motives to lies, because I think if you understand the motive behind your lie, you'll understand how serious it is. Let me just give you five motives. There are plenty more, but let me give you five motives for lies that you probably tell. Number one is revenge. Revenge. This is when you don't like someone because they've hurt you, so you're going to get even by discrediting them. So you tell a lie to intentionally hurt them, harm them, be malicious toward them. This is the cruel lie. Politicians do this all the time to their opponent and call it campaigning. When Joseph refused to give in to the advances of Potiphar's wife, she got even by accusing him of attempted rape. Revenge. Let me give you a second motive. Fear. This is the kind of lie we tell to escape consequences. This is when we tell a lie to protect ourselves, to avoid pain. It's the cowardly lie. My dog ate my homework. Adam did this in the garden. He sinned and took it like a man. He said, my wife made me do it. A lie out of fear. Cain killed Abel. God came to him and said, where's Abel? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know. Why fear? I'll give you a third motive. Pride. Pride. This is when you lie to impress other people. This is when you lie to enhance your image. It's the conceited lie. This is where exaggeration comes in. I was all state in high school. Well, all conference. Okay, second team, all conference. All right, we really weren't in a conference. Pride. Here's a fourth one. Greed. This is the kind of lie we use to manipulate other people in order to get what we want. It's the calculated lie. The check is in the mail. We always service what we sell. 
Somebody's looking at your house for sale and you say, this basement has never leaked. I've never had a problem with that car. A rancher asked a veterinarian for some free advice. He said, I've got a horse that walks normally sometimes and it limps sometimes. What should I do? The veterinarian replied, well, the next time he walks normally, sell him. Greed. I'll give you a fifth motive. If the others didn't catch you, this one will. Laziness. Laziness. This is when we tell a lie because it's easier than telling the truth. It's just a convenient lie. Have you ever told someone, I'm sorry I can't, when the truth is you don't want to? Tell them I'm not home. Mom says she's not home. We really got to go. Our babysitter has a curfew. I would have called you back, but I never got your message. The convenient lie. You know, if you will examine your lies, if you'll take your lies and dissect them, they will tell you something about yourself. Maybe they'll tell you that you're filled with resentment or you're filled with fear or you're filled with pride or you're filled with greed or you're filled with laziness. When you look at your lies that way, you will never call them little again and you will never call them white again. Now, how do you stop lying? What's the cure? Let me give you four things. They all start with a C, so they're easy to remember. Number one is conversion. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever you say comes out of your heart. So lying is a heart problem. Jesus said this in Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, False testimony, that's lying, and slander. You see, the source of lying is the resentment and fear and pride and greed and laziness in your heart. And the only way to stop lying is to get a new heart. And thankfully, Jesus specializes in heart transplants. Because when you repent and entrust your life to him. He makes you a new creation. And he gives you a new heart. And the more you grow to love Jesus, who said, I am the truth, the more you're going to love the truth and speak the truth and live the truth. So if you're here this morning and you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've never been converted, he's never transformed you into a new creature, then that's the answer to the problem of lying. He wants to give you a new heart that will give you a new speech. Second is confession. When you lie as a Christian, confess it. Get down on your knees and say, God, 
I'm a liar. And don't call it a little white lie in front of God. Don't call it a half-truth, because a half-truth is a whole lie. Don't justify it, confess it. Honesty only starts one place, and that's on your knees, confessing who you are and what you have done before the Lord. Conversion, confession, let me give you a third one, consequences. When you lie, pay the price by making amends. It's embarrassing to have to go to someone and say, I lied to you. I know because I've done it. It's painful to have to go to someone and say, I lied about you. But it's a great deterrent to not do it again. If you will pay the price of doing everything you can to reconcile that relationship. I'll give you a fourth way. Contemplation. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Someone who walks in a righteous way ponders what he says. So contemplate before you communicate. Put your mind in gear before you put your mouth in gear. Think. Let me give you an acrostic for that. Think. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Before you speak, think. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? If not, don't say it. Don't say it. Psalm 34.12 says, Who among you wants to love life and see many good days? Here's the formula. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. 